peace, peace, love, prosperity, and protection, you guys. Rich Rogers to everyone out there. Um, it is your favorite girl, Big Gaia, and I am back. I know it's been a while, but I'm actually going to just jump right into it. Um, now, with this episode, I've decided to do um, something a little bit differently. I'm actually going to start um, reading to you all in a series of books that I've been interested in reading for a while. Um, with the first book that I'm going to be reading to you guys is called Mules and Men by Zora Neale Hurston. Um, this is a book of African-American folklore and information that she put together um, after uh, two trips down south and one down to um, New Orleans to basically bring together all of the uh, or as much African-American folklore and folk stories and tales as she could, um, bringing that to the forefront. Um, now, this book was originally originally released in um, 1935. So there are like some prefaces and forwards and things like that that have been added by other people um, outside of Ms. Zora. And I'm not going to read those. All right. So just in case you want to read along with me, the new book will have a preface and a forward, which I am not reading. All right. So I'm jumping right into it with the introduction. Again, the book is Zora Neale Hurston, Mules and Men. OK, it says I was glad when somebody told me you may go and collect Negro folklore. In a way, it would not be a new experience for me. When I pitched head foremost into the world, I landed in a crib full of Negroism. Negroism. From the earliest rocking of my cradle, I had known about the capers, brown rabbit, and apt to cut, and what the squinch owl says from the housetop. But it was fitting me like a tight chemise. I couldn't see it for wearing it. It was only when I was off to college, away from my native surroundings, that I could see myself like somebody else and stand off and look at my garment. Then I had to have a spyglass of anthropology to look through at that. Dr. Boaz asked me where I wanted to work, and I said Florida, and gave as my big reason that Florida is the place that draws people, white people from all over the world, and Negroes from every southern state, surely, and some from the north and west. So I knew that it was possible for me to get a cross-section of the Negro South in that one state. And then I realized that I was new myself, so it looked sensible for me to choose familiar ground. First place I aimed to stop to collect material was Eatonville, Florida. And now I'm going to tell you why I decided to go to my native village first. I didn't go back there so I could, so that the home folks could make admiration over me because I had been up north to college and come back with a diploma in the Chevrolet. I knew that they were not going to pay either one of those items too much of mine. I was just Lucy Hurston's daughter, Zora. And even if I had, to use one of our downtown, down-home expressions, a case of baby, and that's something that hasn't been done in this country yet, I still just be Zora to the neighbors. If I had exalted myself to impress the town, somebody would have sent me a word in the matchbox that I had been up north there and rubbed the hair off my head against some college wall and then came back here with a lot of form and fashion and outside to show the world. But they stand flat-footed and tell me that they didn't have me, neither my shame polished to study about and that would have been that i hurried back to eatonville because i knew that the town was full of material and that i can get it without hurt harm or danger 
As early as I could remember, it was the habit of the men folks, particularly, to gather on the store porch of the evenings and swap stories. Even the women folks could stop and break a breath with them at times. As a child, when I was sent down to Joe Clark's store, I dragged out my leaving as long as possible in order to hear more. Folklore is not as easy to collect as it sounds. The best source is where there are the least outside influences, and these people, being usually underprivileged, underprivileged are the shyest. They are most reluctant at times to reveal that which the soul lives by. And the Negro, in spite of his open-faced laughter, his seeming acquiescence is particularly evasive. You see, we are a people, a polite people, and we do not say to our questionnaire, get out of here. We smile and tell him or her that something that satisfies the white person because knowing so little about us, he doesn't know what he is missing. The Indian resists curiosity by the stony silence. The Negro offers the featherbed resistance. That is, we let the probe enter, but it never comes out. It gets smothered under a lot of laughter and pleasantries. The theory behind our tactics, the white man is always trying to know into somebody else's business. All right, I'll set something outside of the door of my mind for him to play with and handle. He can read my writings, but he sure can't read my mind. I'll put this play toy in his hand, and he will seize it and then go away. Then I'll say, my say and sing my song. I knew that even I was going to have some hindrance among strangers, among strangers. But here in Eatonville, I knew everybody was going to help me. So below Palatka, I began to feel eager to be there and kick the little Chevrolet right along. I thought about the tales I had heard as a child, how even the Bible was made over to suit our vivid imagination, how the devil was always outsmarting God, and how that the overnoble Hero Jack or John, not John Henry, who occupies the same place in Negro folklore that Casey Jones does in white lore, and if anything, is more recent and outsmarted the devil. Br'er Fox, Br'er Deer, Br'er Gator, Br'er Dog, Br'er Rabbit, Old Master and his wife were walking the earth like natural men way back in the days when God himself was on the ground and men could talk with him. Way back there before God weighed up the dirt to make mountains when I was rounding Lily Lake. I was remembering how God had made the world and elements and people. He made souls for people, but he didn't give them out because he said, folks ain't ready for souls yet. The clay ain't dry. It's the strongest thing I ever made. Don't aim to waste none through loose cracks. And then men got to go strong enough to stand it. The way things is now, if I gave it out, it would tear them shackly bottles to pieces. Bimby, I give it out. So folks went around thousands of years with no souls. And all the time, the soul piece, it was sitting around covered up with God's loose raiment. Every now and then, the wind would blow and hiss up the cover and the elements would be full of light and then the winds would talk. So people told one another that God was talking in the mountain. The white man passed it way off and, and he looked, but he wouldn't go close enough to touch it. The Indian and the Negro they tipped by cautious too, and all of them seen the light and the diamonds when the wind shook the cover, and the wind that passed over it sung songs. The Jew come past and heard the songs from the soul piece, and then he kept passing, and all of a sudden he grabbed up the soul piece and hid it up under his clothes and run off down the road. 
it burnt them and tore them and throwed them down and lifted them up and towed them across the mountain. And he tried to break loose, but he couldn't do it. He kept on hollering for help, but the rest of them run hid away from him. Way after they and the pieces that fell back on the ground. I'm sorry, way after they come out of the holes in the corners and picked up the little chips and pieces that fell back on the ground. So God mixed it up with feelings and gave it out to him. Way after a while, when he catch that Jew, he's going to divide things up more equal. So I rounded Park Lake and came speeding down the straight stretch to Eatonville, the city of five lakes, three cocaine courts, 300 brown skins, 300 good swimmers, plenty of guavas, two schools, and no jailhouse. Before I entered the township, I wish to make acknowledgments to Mrs. R. Osgood Mason of New York City. She backed my father in a hearty way, in a spiritual way. And in addition, she financed the whole expedition in the manner of the great soul that she is, the world's most gallant woman. Chapter 1 As I crossed the Maitland Eatonville Township line, I could see a group on the store porch, and I was delighted. The town had not changed. Same love of talking songs, so I drove on down there before I stopped. Yes, there was George Thomas, Calvin Daniels, Jack and Charlie Jones, Gene Browser, B. Mosley, and Seaboard. Deep in the game of Florida Flip, all of those who were not actually playing were giving advice. Bet straightening, they call it. Hello, boys. I held them as I went into neutral. They looked up from the game, and for a moment it looked as if they had forgotten me. Then B. Mosley said, well, if it ain't Zora Hurston, then everybody crowded around the car to help greet me. You going to stay a while, Zora? Yep, several months. Where you going to stay, Zora? With Matt and Ellis, I reckon. Matt was Mrs. Armetta Jones, an intimate friend of mine since childhood, and Ellis was her husband. Their house stands under the huge camphor tree on the front street. Hello, Heartstring, Mayor Hiram Lester yelled as he hurried up the street. We heard all about you up north. You back home for good, I hope. Nope, I come to collect some old stories and tales. And I know y'all got plenty of them. And that's why I headed straight for home. What you mean, Zora? Them big old lies we tell when we're just sitting around here on the store porch doing nothing? Asked B. Mosley. Yeah, those same ones about old master and colored folks in heaven and, oh, you know the kind I mean. All shucks, exclaimed George Thomas doubtfully. Zora, don't you come here and tell the biggest lie first thing. Who you reckon want to read all them old-time tales about Brer Rabbit and Brer Bear? Plenty of people, George. They're a lot more valuable than you think. We want to set them down before it's too late. Too late for what? Before everybody forgets all of them. No danger of that. That's all some people is good for. Sit round and lie and murder a grocery. I know one right now, Calvin Darius announced cheerfully. It's a tale about John and the frog. Well, wait till she get out the car, Calvin. Let her get settled and mix and cook a pan of gingerbread. Then we'll all go down and tell lies and eat gingerbread. That's the way we do. She's tired now from all that driving. All right, boys, I agree. But I'll be rested by tonight. Be looking for everybody. So I unloaded the car and crowded into Ellis's garage and got back, got settled. Our meta made me lie down and rest while she cooked a big pan of gingerbread for the company we expected. Calvin Daniels and James Mosley were the first two to show up. Calvin, I'm sure I'm glad you got here. I'm crazy to hear about John and that frog, I said. That's why I come so early so I could get to tell you and go. I got to go over the wood bridge a little later on. I'm glad you remember me first, Calvin. 
I always like to be good as my word. And I just heard about the toe party over on Woodbridge tonight, and I decided to make a toe party. What on earth is that? Come on, go with me and James, and you'll see. But everybody will be here looking for me. They'll think I'm crazy telling them to come and getting out and going to Woodbridge myself. But I certainly would like to go to that toe party. Oh, come on. They can come back another night. You're going to like this party. Well, you tell me the story first, and by this time, I'll know what to do. Oh, come on, Zora, James urged. Get the car out, and Calvin going to tell you, or Calvin can tell you while we're on the way. Come on, let's go to the toe party. Now, let him tell this first one, then if I go, then if I go, he can tell me some more on the way over. James mentioned to his friend, hurry up and tell it, Calvin, so we can go before everybody else comes. Oh, most of them ain't coming no how. They all about going to Woodbridge, too. Let me tell you about John and his frog. It was a night, and old master sent John, his favorite slave, down to the spring to get him a cool drink of water. He called John to him. John, what you want, master? John, I'm thirsty. I want a cool drink of water, and I want you to go down to the spring and dip me up a nice, cool pitcher of water. John didn't like to be sent nowhere at night, but he always tried to do everything old master told him to do. So he said, yes, sir, master, I'll go and get you some. Old master said, hurry up, John. I'm mighty thirsty. John took the pitcher and went on down to the spring. There was a great big old bullfrog sitting right on the edge of the spring. And when John dipped up the water, the nose scared the frog. The noise scared the frog. And he hollered and jumped over in the spring. John dropped the water pitcher and tore out for the big house, hollering, Master, Master, a big old booger then got after me. Old master told him, why? There's no such thing as a booger. Oh, yes, it is, Master. He down at that spring. Don't tell me, John. You just excited. Furthermore, you're going to get that water I sent you after. No, indeed, Master. You and nobody else can't send me back down there to that big, so that booger can get me. Old Master began to figure that John must have seen something shown up because John never had disobeyed him before. So he asked, John, you say you seen a booger? What it look like? John told him, Master, he had two great big eyes like balls of fire. And when he was standing up, he was sitting down and he moved and he moved by jerks and he had no tail, most no tail. Long before Calvin had ended his story, James had lost his air of impatience. Now I tell when he said, that is, if you so desire. Sure, I want to hear you tell him until daybreak, if you will, I said eagerly. But where's the gingerbread, James stopped to ask. It's out in the kitchen, I said. I'm waiting for the other to, to come. Oh, uh, no, give us ours now. Them others may not get here before 40 o'clock, and I'll be done eight mine and be in the wood bridge. Anyhow, I want a corner piece, and some of them others will beat me to it. So I served them with gingerbread and buttermilk. You sure go on the wood bridge? You sure you go on the wood bridge with us after I get through telling this one, James? Asked? Yeah, if the others don't show up by then, I conceded. So James told the story about a man who was sent to heaven from Johnstown. You know, when the lightning, when it lightnings, the angels is peeping in the looking glass. And when it thunders, they's rolling out the rain barrels. And when it rains, somebody didn't drop the barrel or two and bust it. One time, you know, there were going to be a big doings in glory. And all the angels had brand new clothes to wear. So they was all peeping in the looking glass. And therefore, it got the lightning all over the sky. God told them, the angels, to roll in all the full rain barrels. And they was in such a hurry that it was thundering from the east to the west. And the zigzag lightning went to join the mother and thunder. And the next thing you know, some of them angels got careless and dropped a whole heap of them rain bells. And didn't it rain? 
In one place they called Georgetown, they had a great flood. And so many folks got drowned that it looked just like Judgment Day. So some of the folks that got drowned in the flood went one place and some went another. You know, everything that happened, they got to be a nigga in it. And so one of the brothers in the black went up to heaven from the flood. When he got to the gate, old Peter let him in and made him welcome. The colored man was named John. So John asked Peter, says, is it dry now? Old Peter told him, why, yes, it's dry here. How come you asked that? Well, you know, I just come out of the flood, cut out of one flood, and I don't want to run into no more. Oh, man, you ain't seen no water. You just ought to seen that flood we just had at Johnstown. Peter says, yeah, we know all about it. Just go with Gabriel, and he'll give you some new clothes. So John went off with Gabriel and come back all dressed up in brand new clothes. And all the time he was changing his clothes, he was telling old Gabriel all about that flood, just like he didn't know already. So when he come back from changing clothes, they give him a brand new gold harp and handed it to him um, and handed him to a gold bench and made him welcome. They were so tired of hearing about that flood. They was glad to see him with his harp because they figured he'd get to playing and forget all about it. So Peter told him, now you just make yourself at home and play all the music you please. John went and took a seat on the bench and commenced to tune up his harp. By that time, two angels come walking by and John was sitting, so he threw down his harp and tackled him. Say so he hollered, y'all want to hear about the big flood I was in down on earth? Lord, Lord, it's show raining. Talk about water. Them two angels hurried off on off from him. I'm just as quick as they could. He started telling another one and he took the fly. Gabriel went over to him and tried to get him to take it easy, but John kept right on stopping every angel that he could find to tell him about that flood of water. Well, after a while, he went over to old Peter and he said, thought you said everybody would be nice and polite. Peter said, well, yeah, I said it. Ain't everybody treating you right? John said, no, nah, I just walked up to a man as nice and friendly as I could to be started to tell him about all that water I left back there in Johnstown. And instead of him turning me a friendly answer, he said, shucks, you ain't seen no water. And walked off and left me standing by myself. He was an old man with a crooked walking stick. Or was he an old man with a crooked walking stick? Peter asked John. Yeah. Did he have whiskers down the hill? Peter measured down to his waist. He sure did, John told him. All shucks, Peter told him. That's old Nola, Nora. You have to call him. You can't tell him nothing about no flood. Now, again, I just want to note that it does say Nora in the book, but this is folklore and this is country talk. So they saying that this is Noah. You can't tell Noah nothing about no flood. <laughs> there was a lot of horn hunking outside and I went to the door. The crowd drew up under the mother and camphor tree in four old cars. Everybody in boisterous in spirit. Come on, Zora, let's go to Woodbridge. Great toe party going on. I'll call a freshman, all kinds of freshmen. We can tell you some lies mostly any old time. We never run out of lies and loving. Tell them tomorrow night. Come on if you're coming. Let's go if you're going. So I loaded up my car with my neighbors, and we all went to Woodbridge. It's a Negro community joining Maitland on the north as Eatonville does on the west. But no enterprising souls have ever been organizing, organizing it. They have no schoolhouse, no post office, no mayor. It is lacking in Eatonville's feeling of unity. In fact, a white woman lives there. While we rode along Florida number three, I asked Armetta where she was shin where was the shindig going to be in Red, Red Bridge? 
at Edna Pitts' house, she told me, but she ain't giving it by herself. It's for the lodge. Think it's going to be lively? Oh, yeah. I heard that a lot of folks from the Altamonte and the Longwood is coming. Maybe from Winter Park, too. We were the tail end of the line as we turned off the highway. We could hear the boys in the first car doing what Ellis Jones called boo-cooing. Before everyone even hit the ground, Charlie Jones was woofing louder than anybody else. Don't y'all sell off any of them pretty little pink toes before I get there. Peter Stagg, save me the best one. Side so well. Hey, you motherheads, get out the way. There, let a real man smoke them toes over. Gene Browser, come to come to my pick. Give me a baseline brown. Big Willie Sue well. Give me any kind, so as long as you give me more than one. Babe Brown riding in the running boy, good time hand said, I want a toe, but if it ain't got a good looking face onto it, don't bring that mess up. When we got to the the party was young. The house was swept and garnished and refreshments on display. Several people sitting around in the spot needed some social juices to mix the ingredients. In other words, they had the carcass of the party lying around up until the men in Eatonville burst into it. Then it woke up. Y'all done sold off any toes yet, George Brown wanted to know. Willie Mayclock gave him a certain look and asked him, What's it got to do with you, George Brown? And he shut up. Everybody knows that Willie Mays got the business with George Brown. Nope, we ain't had enough crowd, but I reckon we can start now, Edna said. Edna and the sort of committee went inside and hung up a sheet across the end of the room. Then she came outside and called all the young women to come inside. She had to coax and drag some of the girls. Oh, I'm shamefaced, some of them said. Nobody don't want to buy no mad old rusty toe. Others fished around for denials from the mill side. I went on in with the rest and was herded behind the curtains. Say, what is this toe party business? I asked one of the girls. Good gracious, Zora. Ain't you ever been to a toe party before? Nope. They don't have them up north where I've been, and I just got back today. Well, they hide the girls behind the curtain and you stick your toe out. Some places you take off your shoe and some places you keep them on. But most of the time you keep them on. When all the toes is in a line, sticking out from behind the sheet, they let the men folks in and they looks over all the toes and buys the ones that they want for a dime. Then they got to treat the lady to, lady that owns the toe, to everything that she wants. Sometimes they play so it, you keep the same partner for the whole thing. Sometimes they fix it so they put the girls back every hour and sew and sell the toes again. Well, my toe went on the line with the rest, and it was sold five times during the party. Every time a toe was sold, there was a great flurry behind before the curtain, each man eager to see what he had got and whether the other man would envy him or ridicule him. One or two fellas ungallantly ran out of the door rather than treat the girls whose toes they had bought sight unseen. Babe Brown got off on his guitar and the dancing was hilarious. There was plenty of chicken perlo and baked chicken and fried chicken and rabbit, pig feet, chillings and hot peanuts and drinkables. Everybody was treating wildly. Come on, Zora, have a treat on me, Charlie Jones insisted. You done ate chicken ham and chicken balsam with every shag leg in Orange County but me. Come on and spend some of my money. Thanks, Charlie, but I done got five heppings of chicken inside already. I ain't either got to get another stomach or to quit eating. Well, quit, quit eating then and go to thinking. Quit thinking and then start to drinking. What you want? Coca-Cola right off the ice, Charlie, and put some salt in it. I got a slight headache. 
Oh, no, my money don't buy no sweet slop. Choose some coon dick. What is coon dick? Also, it's just something to make the, the, the drunk come. Made out of grapefruit juice, cornmeal, mash, beef bones, and a few more things. Come on, let's get some together. It might make our love come down. As soon as we started over into the next yard where coon dick was to be had, Charlie yelled to the barkeep, Hey, Seymour, fix up another quarter of that low wine. Here comes the boom. It was handed to us in a quart fruit jar, and we went outside to try it. The raw liquor, known locally as coon dick, was too much. The minute it touched my lips, the top of my head flew off. I spat it out and chewed some penis instead. Big Willie Sewell said, come on, heartstring, and have some gossip bird on me. My money spins, too. His honor, Hiram Lester, the mayor, heard him and said, there ain't no more chicken left, Willie. Why don't you offer her something she can get? Well, there was some chicken when I asked or when I passed by the table a little while ago. Oh, so you offering her some chicken that was? She can't eat that. She wants some chicken that is. Oh, shut up, Hiram. Come, Zora, let's go inside and make out we dancing. We went on inside, but it wasn't a party anymore. Just some people heard it together. The high spirits were simmering down, and nobody had a dime left to cry on the toe business. So it suffered a slump. The heaped-up tables of freshmen's had become shambles of chicken bones and empty platters anyway, so there was no longer any point in getting your toast sold. So when Columbus Montgomery said, let's go to Eatonville, Sidi Sewell jumped up and grabbed his hat and said, I heard you, buddy. Eaton began, or Eatonville began to move back home right then. Near, nearly everybody was packed in one of the five cars when the delegation from Altamonte arrived. Johnny Barton and George Burke Everybody piled out again. Got your guitar with you, Johnny? Man, you know I don't go nowhere unless I can take my box with me, said Johnny in his starch blue shirt, collar pin with heart bangles hanging on each end, and his cream pants with the black stripes. And what make it so cool is I don't go nowhere unless I can play it. And when you get to strolling your mess, Georgia gets to singing her alto. Man, it's a hot at seven hills. Man, play that Palm Beach. Babe Brown took the guitar and Johnny Barton grabbed the piano stool. He sung George Burke and George Thomas singing about Polk County where the water tastes like wine. My heart struck sorrow. Tears come running down at about the 37th verse something about I'd rather be in Tampa with the whip poor wheel rather be in Tampa with the whip poor wheel than to be round here honey with a hundred dollar bill. I staggered sleepily for to the little Chevrolet from Eatonville. The car was overflowing in the passengers with passengers, but I was so dull from lack of sleep that I didn't know who they were. All I knew is that they belonged to Eatonville. Somebody was woofing in my car about love, and I asked him about his buddy. I don't know why now. He said, I ain't got no buddy. They killed my buddy so they could raise me. Just so I be your man, I don't want no damn buddy. And I hope they kill every man that ever cried titty mama but me. Let me be your kid. Some voice from somewhere else in the car commented, You show Lord is going to have to have a lot of hindrance. Then somehow I got home and to my bed and our meta enjoyed syrup and waffles for breakfast. <laughs>